0: Great. So today, you know, we are going to get to jump into the questions that y'all submitted a few weeks ago as we were in the midst of this pause series. You know, we opened it up to say, hey, if you have a question, how does this work out practically? Or maybe you have a wondering about what does it look like to actually intentionally rest? We invited you to send in your questions. And so we're going to jump into those. But before we kind of dive into the deep end, into the nitty gritty, let's kind of wade in the shallow end a little bit with some introductory questions. So... uh, Here's a good shallow end question for you. If you were to accidentally eat one pint of ice cream in one sitting, uh, what ice cream would it be?
1: Yeah, so next week the series is called The Way We Change, just so you know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, if I were to accidentally uh, eat a pint of ice cream, it would have to be uh, Bailey's Rum and Raisin Ice Cream from Bermuda. Um, yes, I absolutely love it. It tastes like home, and it it's is. heavenly. And if you don't like rum and raisin, that's your problem, all right? It's <laughs> so good. What about you? What
0: would you do? Oh, man, so there's an ice cream shop here in Orlando called Kelly's. Yeah, we love and, Kelly's. Uh, usually towards the last couple months of the year, they have this, like, triple chocolate, deep, dark fudge situation. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a problem because it's that good.
1: Yeah, so if you're taking notes in your spiritual formation journal, that was the important part. That that was it. For the day. That was the one. I see we have a question here, Andrew. I feel like this one is almost on the line of sacrilegious. Um, Chick-fil-A or Popeyes, which one are you picking?
0: Yeah, so I have eaten Popeyes once in my life. It was with this man um, while we were running late to catch a plane. We stopped and picked up Popeyes We don't run anywhere,
1: Andrew. We walk. What are you talking about? Yeah, sorry. We
0: were quickly walking through an airport, picked up Popeyes, I don't really remember how it tasted because I just remember trying to get to the plane. I remember
1: that. So really, Chick Fil A is the only way. For yeah, me. I agree. I agree. Can we just agree that Chick Fil A is the Lord's chicken? Like we just believe That's that, it. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like every now and then, I do, I do crave a little bit of Popeyes, a little three piece. Like I gotta, I gotta right. get it. And every time I eat a Popeyes, I feel like I'm like, I feel like I'm betraying my friendship to Chick Fil A, and I'm trying to figure that piece out. Okay, here's here's like a more I think helpful question uh, for everybody. Um, Andrew, you and I have been working for a long time together. Uh, This conversation we've had about rest and finding uh, rhythms of rest in our life. Intentional rest, which is a a significant practice. It's one of our seven practices as a church in the way of Jesus, how we think that Jesus invites us to walk with him. Uh, We've been in this conversation for a while, but we didn't come by it just by kind of sitting in a room thinking. We were influenced by writers and, and voices. For you, what are some books you might recommend to people? Uh, as they want to take this pause idea deeper into the year uh, beyond just a series. What books have been helpful for you? Yeah, I think one
0: great introductory book that actually Ariel and I have gone through, I think three times now together, is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And it is, I mean, it's just been a a blessing and a benefit for us to really think practically through what does it look like to slow down, to pause, And to enjoy the good gift of Sabbath rest that God's
1: given us. It's really good. Uh, We actually have copies of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry um, available for free uh, for a few of you. Uh, If you uh, come up after service and connect with Andrew and I, I feel like this book would be a helpful resource to you. We've got a limited number, but we'd love to put that in your hand. Um, again, you can go to Amazon and order it yourself, uh, but if you're like, hey, I really need access to that, um, need it now, or uh, maybe ordering a book is a financial barrier right now, we'd love to help you in that way. So make sure that you uh, meet me and Andrew afterward for uh, the free book we'd like to give you today. A couple other books I might add to that. Um, one uh, that we go through together as a staff, uh, and we're going through it uh, in a couple of weeks together, um, is Emotionally Healthy Leadership, by Pete Scazzaro. If you're looking for a book to to jot down uh, in your notes, I'd say Emotionally Healthy Leadership by um, Pete Scazzaro. And then there's another book that's been really helpful uh, for me, Um, If you're a person who feels like you're in a season of life where you've got a lot going on, uh, perhaps you are uh, leading uh, in a corporate setting or you find yourself as a small business owner, entrepreneur, just trying to manage the the manifold different places that your life uh, is operating in. A book that was really helpful for me this year uh, was a book called At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor. Uh, it's written by Kerry Newhoff. Again, the title is At Your Best. But those would be a few books that we would come into to you that we think are really, really helpful as we jump into pause. So we got a couple questions here, Andrew, that yes. people have been gracious to ask. Great questions. So yeah. let's see it.
0: So let's kick it off here. I think this is one that is applicable to a lot of us in the room. How do you teach kids and teens to pause? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. Um, and I think it's one that as we kind of enter in today, we're, we're going to be uh, involving a lot of scripture as we're, we're teaching today. I, w- I would encourage you, Andrew and I are not interested in trying to give you good advice today, uh, but we do have good news uh, that we believe uh, is rooted in the news of scripture uh, and the, the good advice that God gives us there. Um, so it's interesting. Um, there's a, a, a recent uh, American Psychological Association study uh, that came out. And here's why the question that Andrew just asked if you're a parent, if you're an uncle, if you're an auntie, if you're a grand parent is so important. It's not just for the parents in the room, but for any of us that are invested in the lives of the next generation. Uh, For the first time in U.S. history, more students, more minors, uh, kids and high school students, Uh, indicate anxiety, stress, and depression than those who don't. It's the first time uh, in uh, American history, at the very least, where this is true. That if you were to put uh, two kids in a room and ask them, hey, are you stressed? Are you anxious? Or if you were to put 10 kids in a room, uh, more than five of those 10 would say yes. First time in human history. And there's a lot of research right now trying to figure out why that's the case. Uh, Some scientists argue that it's because of the intense pressure that's uh, placed on kids to perform at younger ages. Like, there used to be a day where you could be a three-sport athlete. Do you remember that? You used to play, you know, one sport uh, in the fall, one sport in the winter, one sport in the spring. And now, by, like, age four, you've got to decide if your kid's going to be, you know, the next soccer player. And it's really uh, not even about trying to make it to, you know, get a college scholarship. It's to make your high school team. I mean, it is so intense right now, uh, the pressure that we're putting on kids. Uh, for others, um, it's this reality of the 24/7 news cycle. Um, it's led to a higher amount of emotional uh, negative input that kids are taking in uh, more than the body can handle. Uh, And then there's also this reality of, do students even feel safe going to school? Uh, There was one statistic that showed that 75% of kids step onto their school campuses, nervous about how the day is going to go, um, out of fear for their own safety. And again, we're in a season and in a space where uh, I don't have all of the answers, and researchers are still trying to figure that out. But what we can agree on is that we need to help our kids and teens learn how to pause, because they're living in a world with a higher level of emotional stress and demands on their life Because it's the culture that they're a part of. And here's what I would say if you're a parent, uh, but I would also um, say broadly is our responsibility collectively, and why we're so passionate about this here um, at Nona, we really do believe, especially if you're a parent, listen up, that your job, your job, your responsibility is to create the conditions for your child's thriving. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 comes to mind. Uh, Paul addresses this to fathers, but I think that the um, principle here is uh, addressed to both parents. Um, It says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, Kids, if you're looking for a verse to memorize that you can use for your parents, that's a good one right there, right? The Bible said don't exasperate me, Dad, right? Uh, Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up, and look at this, in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I love that there's an inverse here. What it means is we're going to do one of these two things we're either going to create the conditions in our home where our kids are exasperated, overwhelmed, and stressed, or we're going to bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord, which means that if I'm not bringing, up in the, bringing them up in the instruction and training of the Lord, I am creating the conditions for what? Their exasperation. It's not a, another option. It's an either-or situation here that Paul is laying out for us. It is very important, mom and dad, That you take this concept seriously. The concept of rest is not just for those that are burned out middle management executives or stay-at-home parents or those of us that are working multiple jobs. This rhythm needs to be taught to our children at an early age, not just for their future success, but for their current mental health and well-being. Because they're living in a world that is marked by significant amounts of stress. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. This has been, I think, a, an anchor text for both Andrew and I in our parenting and our marriage and the way that we even try to think about how we structure leadership at our church. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now, this is addressed to the families, to the parents of the new Uh, people, Israel, that God is creating. They have been enslaved. Listen to this. This text happens in a time when they have been enslaved in Egypt for generations. And now God is trying to create a new kind of community. And he has to reorient their mind because they've been enslaved to a way of being in the world that is counter to God's best for them. I need you to hear this. There is a culture that is enslaving us to a way of seeing the world That is not best for us. So God, speaking to his people, says, hey, there's a way you've seen it done or experienced it for generations. Let me teach you parents what you should be about. Parents, this is what should matter most to you. you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then verse 7, he says, impress them. That means stamp. That means imprint That means place deep within, not just screen print on a T-shirt, but place in leather. Put inside of them these things. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The whole idea here is that love of God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our kids are to be be taught how to do that from us as parents. And it should be in our home. It should be on our way when we're in the car. It should be in every aspect of our life. The conditions by which our kids are growing up should be marked more by what we're training them and instructing them in the Lord than what the culture wants to enslave them to. Are you picking up what I'm putting down right now? If the answer is yes, would you say yes? Yes. So, in the long run, hear this, and most often... The primary voice in the life of a child are the parent figures in their life. It is really important that you model what it means to intentionally rest because kids are paying attention. So a couple of the notes I'd give you right here that are just kind of quick statements that are important to remember. The first one is this. Our kids will repeat what we reward. Our kids will repeat what we reward. So mom and dad, are they rewarded for performance, how they did on their Report card, or they rewarded for character? Their choice to say, hey, Mom, I know I might get an, a, a B tomorrow, but I think getting seven, eight hours of sleep is more important. Do you agree with that? Hey, Mom, I know that the, the teacher gave me a ton of homework this weekend, uh, but it's important for us to, to figure out Sabbath rest. Are you okay with me not getting a better score on the report card necessarily or trusting that God's going to take my obedience to him and give me what is best for me? Parents, what are we rewarding in our home? Because if we reward the wrong things, we will teach our kids to repeat the wrong things. And then they'll be in counseling because of you later on, all right? Here's the next one. Our kids will internalize what we externalize. Our kids will internalize what we externalize. In other words, what we're doing with our time externally, our kids will begin to believe is the right way to live or act internally, So parents, do they see you working for rest or from it? Do they see you working for rest or from rest? Um, I just want another kind of thought here. There is no place in the world where kids are not evaluated. The only place where that should not be the case or where we have control over that is in our home. I mean, our kids go to school and they're evaluated by their friend group. Are you cool enough? Are you wearing the right outfit? Do you have the right language? Are you, were you aware of the most recent TikTok video? Can you do the most recent TikTok dance? They're evaluated. Are you gonna make the team? Are you good enough to compete? They're evaluated. Are you ranked in your class? Are you able to get in gifted? They're living in a world that is marking them and grading them. When they come home, are they in an environment where they know, they know that they know that they know, that they are loved unconditionally, accepted as they are, working through what they're working through. Last thing I'd say is this, our kids will value rest to the degree that we do. So I think the kind of short answer to how do we teach our kids to pause and to rest is by, start, by starting with ourselves. By making the internal decision to say that that maybe the way that I've lived has worked for me, but it's not the healthiest way to live or even the most God-honoring way to live. But do I want my kids to have my stress level when they're my age? (laughs) Do I want my kids to have my anxiousness when they're my age? How we choose to live our lives as adults creates the conditions upon which, the script upon which our kids believe adulthood should be lived and how success should be be found. So one more thought, and then I'll kind of move from here. I want to be super practical. And this is probably the most helpful wisdom I think I've gotten as a parent. An imperfect plan consistently executed is better than a perfect plan inconsistently executed. This has been the most helpful parenting wisdom I think I've received. Because here's the deal, Um, our family—we're in process. We've got four kids. I've got a daughter right now who's playing in a tournament outside uh, of our state, nine hours away. Okay, Uh, we're we're all over the place with our life and our time and our energy. We're in the middle of this very season, and so here's the deal: we don't have the picture-perfect family rhythm because life is not picture-perfect. But what we want to do is create the kind of world and conditions we can where we can put some baseline realities in the life of our kids. The question that we ask is, what can we do consistently right now, even if it's imperfect or not what we wished it could be? So some examples. Uh, We can't guarantee a 24-hour Sabbath rest the way we want it to look like exactly in our home. But we can do a family night where we shut the phones off and we play board games or watch a movie together or make a meal together together. We can't guarantee deep discussions every single night that we're around the dinner table, but we can make sure that our kids understand the rhythm of highs and lows. So when we sit down, they know that they can share what's going on in their life that's good, and we can celebrate that, but we'll also grieve what's going on in their life that's bad. And as a family, everyone knows highs and lows. If it's a Chick-fil-A for five minutes, or if it's a long dinner because we've got a full weekend to ourselves, there's a rhythm we can, we can execute consistently. Uh, we can't guarantee bedtime reading, like I know some of you guys are like, we read seven books every night. It's like, God bless you, like, you know, have more kids. Like, you know, like, it's just crazy, right? <laughs> like, we can't guarantee bedtime reading and long prayers every night. But Stacy and I can place our hands on the foreheads of every single one of our kids if they're asleep or if they're awake and pronounce the number six blessing over them. And our kids know that. When we travel, when we're overseas, when we're um, in different places away from our kids, our kids know whoever's watching them on that day will call when it's time for bed uh, or around the time that works for the schedule. And, and uh, Emma, usually our oldest, will say, everybody, hands on the phone. And our kids all put their hands on a phone, and we put our hands on the phone, and we give them their number six blessing. I want this in, 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 entrenched in the hearts of our kids. Don't let someone else's awesome family structure stop you from doing what you can, mom and dad. God has never honored impressive, but he does honor faithful. So that's my answer. That's good. I think this next
0: question is, is very on the ground because, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, many of us have
0: tried to rest. We've tried to do this. And then we get to a point where it doesn't quite happen the
1: way that we hoped it would.
0: So this question is, how do you find grace when you fail at resting?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I would say the answer shortly is it's the same way I find grace in every area of my life. Uh, It's this recognition that God has a standard for me and it is to live from rest, not to live for rest. Uh, And I fall short of that all the time because of my own scripts that I'm working through as a kid that I've got to figure out because of my own proclivity to want to do more or try to accomplish as much as possible. And I think it's a constant reminder that God wants what is best for me, and his law is actually made for me to delight in. God's limitations are for my good. God's choices to say do less is actually because he wants to bless the rest. Uh, It reminds me, honestly, Andrew, of our Formation Journal reading this week in Galatians. I don't know if you were reading through Galatians this week, but there was a, a text that really jumped out to me from our formation journal reading and really encourage you to jump into this formation journal reading. It is life-changing. God will speak to you in significant ways. He'll give you insights that you need for the day that's right uh, in front of you. Um, and Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3, stuck out to me kind of in reflection of this question. Um, we read it this week. It said, Oh, foolish Galatians, Paul writes, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. In other words, you know the gospel. You know the good news of what Christ has done for you. How he has purchased and sacrificed salvation for all of us. So then Paul asks this question. Let me ask you this question then. Verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit, the presence and power of God, the person of God in your life, by obeying the law of Moses? Here's his answer. Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? I'm like, calm down, Paul. It's kind of mean. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And that has been a constant reminder for me that I don't do anything to earn God's love I get to live out of God's love. So it is inevitable that I'm going to fail at resting. It is inevitable that you and I are going to fall short of God's standard of perfection. So thank God for grace. So how do I find grace? By reminding myself of the gospel, that Jesus Christ lived the life I could not live, point blank, period. I will not live this life perfectly. I am not going to get it right every day. I am going to fail at resting. I'm going to fail at Bible reading. I'm going to fail at prayer. There are going to be days when I pray and fall asleep because I'm tired. I'm going to fail as a parent. But God didn't need me to be perfect, Jesus was. And the goal is not perfection, it's progress. God is not interested in our perfection, Jesus stands alone in that category. And he sees us through the lens of Christ crucified. He's inviting us into progress. Eugene Peterson has this great quote. He says that grace um, is not opposed to effort. We should try as hard as we can to be obedient to all that God has for us. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. I don't try hard so I can get God's love. I try as hard as I can because God made me. He knows what's best for me. And this rhythm of rest that we've been talking about, it actually leads to my flourishing and the benefit of those around me. I'm going to fail. Thank God for grace. And when I need to find grace, I remember remember that grace has found me. It's found me through Christ and his cross. Andrew, um, as you kind of process this, I think there's an inverse to this question. Um, How do you not feel guilty when you're trying to rest? Like we live in a world, Right. Uh, that looks at rest almost as this kind of negative thing, depending on what environment you're in. So it can be easy to feel guilty. How do you not feel guilty when you're trying to rest?
0: Yeah, it's good. I, I would encourage you, if you are someone who feels guilty when you're trying to rest, to investigate that guilt a little bit. Uh, my mind kind of goes through three categories. One would be um, filling the blank on this this statement. If I don't get enough done, then I'm not, what is that? What is that internal narrative yeah. that you have? Is it, okay, if I don't get enough done this week, then I'm not worthy. If I don't execute on all of these to-do lists at work, then I'm not going to be successful. Uh, if I don't get my house in a clean enough order before Saturday morning comes, then I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. What is that internal narrative and these kind of identity markers that you're placing on yourself? Because I think one of the things that is so beautiful about rest that God's given us uh, is that it is tied to identity. My mind goes back to when God gives the practice of Sabbath to the people of Israel. And so we see at the beginning of the 10 commandments in Exodus, it doesn't begin with, I'm God, this is what you need to do in order for me to love you. It begins with God Hmm. saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It begins with setting the identity of saying, I am your God, you are freed, you're delivered, You're secure. You are safe with me. And from that place, walk in these practices that will lead to your flourishing. And it's cool because it actually comes up again in Deuteronomy, specifically with the practice of Sabbath. So this is kind of the second generation. These are the kids of the people that first received the Ten Commandments. And this is what God says about the Sabbath. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You know, the Sabbath and rest, it's, it's not about proving yourself to God, to yourself, or to anybody else. It's actually about being secure in the identity of being a beloved child of God. There's this thing we do mm-hmm. with Asher. Um, when we walk to school in the mornings, we have a, a few questions that we do that are back and forth. And one of them is, Asher Earl, who are you? And his answer is, I'm a beloved son of my mom, of dad, and of God. I think that's the question that we need to ask ourselves when we feel guilty about rest. Who are you? Who you are is not what you do. Who you are is not what you accomplish. Who you are is not what you produce. Who you are is a beloved daughter or a beloved son of God. Period. And from there, you can enjoy rest. So that would be my first analysis of guilt. The second would be maybe that guilt is coming from outside of you. Maybe other people are making you feel guilty. That could be a family member. That could be friends. That could be uh, a boss. And I think there it's really all about setting clear boundaries and expectations. And especially if it's someone that you have relational proximity with, um, being able to express your commitment to rest, to ceasing, to pausing um, from a perspective of saying, this is what I need. Like, I know that you care about me. I know you want what's best for me. I need to do less. I need to pause. And you might not get that. You might not understand that. That might feel disruptive or frustrating to you. Uh, But I need you to trust me and trust your care for Mm me. The last thing I'd probably say is if you feel guilty when you're trying to rest, um, the first two things I said would be about bad guilt. Um, The third one might actually be a good guilt. That might be guilt that is conviction. Um, Because as we talk about pausing and rest, there's intentional rest, like rest that leans into... God into his presence, and then there's just like recreation or laziness, um, and that's not good. And yeah. so if you feel guilty, um, also ask yourself, is the Holy Spirit telling me something? Like, am I taking a real rest, as Eugene Peterson yeah. would say, um, or, or am I just slapping the, the term of Sabbath or rest on top of me doing nothing? Yeah.
1: Like, am I spiritualizing my Netflix binge, right? That's that's exactly right. That's That's exactly right. That's really, like, what it is. That's it.
0: That's good, Andrew. Really good. So another question uh, that we received is this. Yeah. What about when pausing isn't possible?
1: Yeah. I think that's such a great question. Um, And and I love this. Like, the the attachment was like, hey, like, if I'm a a young mother with young kids, right, and it just feels like I'm living in a whirlwind of chaos or – Perhaps you're, you know, I'm a, I'm a medical student, and uh, I'm in a season where the demands of my school uh, uh, make me have to live at a, at a rate or at a pace that I don't want. And it feels like it's impossible to get out of that. I think it's really, really helpful. So I'm going to give you guys some, like, kind of broad strokes here, and I want to kind of get down to, like, a practical application that I think is helpful for kind of any season. Uh, but the reality is this. First of all, um, most of the time, I would say this. Pausing isn't possible most of the time. Most of the time, pausing isn't possible is more so a statement of values than it is a reality, most of the time. But there are occasions, a young mom with a, uh, you know, a a gaggle of young children, you know, or uh, a situation where uh, you're in school and it just feels like the deadlines are too much and you didn't set the curriculum, somebody else did. I think that the important element is acknowledging and naming that this season is harder than others, Uh, And remember that Jesus came for you. So Matthew chapter 11, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out? Like the good news of Jesus, this Christian faith is actually for those of us that don't have it all put together, but it is for those of us that are at our weary place, those of us that are anxious. So remember that Jesus has come for you, Matthew 11. And then I would encourage you to go to Hebrews chapter four, which reminds us that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Uh, That what we get in the New Testament and what we get as a result of Jesus is this principle of the Sabbath, which is a great rhythm for our lives, but also the person of Jesus who can walk with us in seasons when it's really hard to find that right rhythm. Jesus actually is our Sabbath rest. On the practical side, though, I do think it's important for us to to evaluate our lives with a phrase that Stacey and I will use oftentimes in our marriage. And it's this question, and I think it's huge, all right? Write it down. It's this. Is this, the time period we're in, is this a season or a a climate? Is this a season or a climate? A season is a time period that will come to pass. That's med school. That's newborn babies. That's a work season with deadlines. There are seasons that are going to be harder to find time to pause. Is this a season or is this a climate? A climate is different than a season. A season is it's cold for a couple of months, right? The season of winter in Florida is like two weeks, right? That's (laughs) that's what it is. But we're not in a cold climate, right? We've got some friends that live in the Midwest. They're in a different climate than we are. A climate is always like this. A season is sometimes like this. A climate is always like this. And in a climate, we either need new clothes which means what can I change to manage the climate? What about my life in not only the season, but what about the way I do life has to change? Skills, rhythms, relationships. Or we need to move. Something needs to change. Like I get it. If you came from a cold climate and you came to Florida, I understand why you're here, right? I don't understand why people live in places where it's cold. And for some of us, that's what really needs to happen. It's a true evaluation of saying hey, it's not that I'm in a season right now, it's that this climate is not good for us long-term, which means we might need to have a job change. We might need to think different about our financial habits and our lifestyle because we can't sustain this kind of life over time without robbing us of the things that we long for and desire in deeper ways. Now, hear me, this is super important. If you call a season a climate, you will overreact. And you will over-respond in ways that are unhealthy. There will be seasons when your travel is higher. Like Easter season at our church is a little bit different than summer in July, right? It's different. So if you call a season a climate, you'll overreact. Now, on the flip side, if you call a climate a season, you'll get burnt, and some of us have been saying, hey, this, this rhythm of life we have, it's just, it's just a season. It's just a season. It's just a season. And the reality is it's not. It's a climate. And you'll find yourself getting frostbitten or the people around you experiencing pain as a result. But if you can gauge it correctly, is this a season or is it a climate, you can address appropriately. If it's a climate, reevaluate if this is how we want to live. If it's a season, Lean into Christian community for help because this will be temporary. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3 says this share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourselves. You are not that important. Our life is not a life where we're going to be able to do this on our own. There will be seasons where the burden is high. And that's why I think it's so important for you to be in a community group or for you to find your your community, your circle, your people at Nona, because it allows you to share the burden and allow others to share your burden with you. And I've seen people over and over again, young moms through Nona moms, find a mentor mom, and all of a sudden life becomes a little bit less burdened and there's moments of rest. I've seen... Families rally around one another in community group because of a medical diagnosis, and all of a sudden food is uh, taken care of, and people are driving people to and from appointments. That's what the local church is made to do. It's designed to be a place to help us share one another's burdens so you can pause in those seasons where it's hard to pause. Uh, Andrew, last question. This one is, I think, on the nose in the sense that I think it kind of takes a lot of what we talked about and places it in one spot. And it's the way you're living in a lot of ways right now. Um, There's a a question we got that said, we've been hearing about Sabbath rest and finding rhythms of rest for a while. And we have a difficult time implementing a rhythm because of a constantly changing work schedule. Uh, They mentioned the medical field. And I'd say there's a lot of us that are dealing with different kinds of uh, changing work schedules. But those of you that work in medicine, in particular public health, uh, your dynamic and rhythm is is quite quite amazing and uh, quite a challenge. Um, So here's the question. Do you have examples of how to find rest in seasons or climates really that seem to be inconsistent and how has this been successful for people in this situation? Andrew, I couldn't think of a better person to answer this question because this is how you've lived your life for a decade. So talk to me about it. Yeah,
0: this is very much my life. So uh, my wife, Arielle, is a nurse in the pediatric ICU. And so she's been a nurse I mean, ever since we got married. And so she works on a hospital schedule, which means that every week is not the same. Uh, Every week is different of which day she's going to work and when she works. And it's like 14 hours. Like she's, she's out, she's keeping people alive and bringing them back to life. Um, It's amazing what she does. And those of you who are in the medical profession, it's incredible, but it, it does make your family life rhythm schedule just wonky because it's not the same. It doesn't, you can't say, Hey, every Friday night to Saturday night, we're doing Sabbath because sometimes on Friday nights, Ariel's at the hospital. Sometimes all day Saturday, Ariel's at the hospital. I'm also in our current season, Ariel's in grad school. I'm about to wrap up grad school. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's almost done. And so there's just, there's a lot of inconsistency because we're also beholden to the curriculum that, that we're studying. Um, Ariel and I were talking about this last night, actually. One of the, the first things that we landed on is that if you are in a season of life, if you're in a climate where it is inconsistent, the first thing you need to name is you need Sabbath. Yeah. You need rest, we need rest. It is absolutely essential to us surviving. Inconsistency, um, it does not exempt us from intentional rest. It also doesn't exclude us from intentional rest either. Um, Choosing to rest in the midst of your inconsistency, I think there's a, a couple practical steps I might give you that you'd have to figure out how it works in your own situation. Uh, the first would be this. You really do have to plan ahead for your Sabbath mm-hmm. instead of instituting it as a set day every single week. That just doesn't work for us. Um, so we have to calendar ahead. We actually recently, I think it was this fall, started using a physical calendar. We've been doing calendars on our iPhones, and then it eventually just got too messy. So we have a large, like, whiteboard calendar, and we mark out, these are the days you're working. These are the days I'm working. These are the days I have meetings in the mm-hmm. evening where I'm meeting with people for church When can we find a day to rest together? Sometimes, like you mentioned, that's a full day, and those are the best. Sometimes that's a family dinner, and that's what we have. And sometimes that family dinner might be like on a Thursday. Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to be on a typical weekend time, but we can set aside time to rest. Now, in that inconsistency, one of the things that you can make consistent is what you do. Although your rhythm might not be Hey, every seven days, I know I'm going to have this time of rest. We can have rhythms of practices. So, the way that we pray, we have like a, a Sabbath song that we sing together as a family. We read. We have f- a Sabbath rap, just so you know. I love it. it. Yeah. It's even better. Yeah. Um, we read from that children's Bible that Nona Kids has invited all of us to be reading this year. Um, and there's there's some other special things that we do when it comes to like eating. Like we eat the best food that we can eat yeah. on those days. And I think that creating those consistent rhythms in those inconsistent times is important. It's also important to recognize that you'll have to say no to some things. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff on your social calendar that you might want to get to, that you just can't. You have to sacrifice it and surrender it to say I'm gonna choose the better thing. This is a good thing. It's an okay thing, but I'm going to choose the better thing, which is to have a time for rest for us and for our children. And I would say this, if you are in this situation, if you're in the medical field or an inconsistent, you know, life schedule, um, start small. Don't feel like you have to go 100%. Like start at 5%, start at 10%. And begin to build your muscles. It's kind of like exercise. Like when I haven't exercised for a few weeks, and I have to jump back into it, it's the absolute worst. Mm -hmm. And I can't just like go full force. I have to start small. Start small with your Sabbath. Begin little by little by little, and build those habits. Build those muscles, so you can keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Some kind of closing thoughts and uh, concluding remarks. Uh, The first one is this: Uh, This is a lifelong journey. And I want to encourage you to start with grace. Start with grace. This is not another list of to-dos uh, to check off on your spirituality uh, checklist to feel good about yourself. This is an invitation that God gives us to be able to experience him in fullness and in joy and to do that with those around us. Um, so start with grace. Start with grace. Uh, the second thing I'd write here down is think progress, not perfection. Um, Man, we've we've been in this rhythm now for a number of years, and I think our constant conversation is not about how do we get this perfect, but what's the next thing we can do in this new season of our life uh, to lean into this invitation, a gift that God has given us. And lastly, don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, if you find yourself in a season where it is hard to find a moment to pause, lean into community. We've got great opportunities, man, known to men, known to women, known to moms, known to Latino, community groups that are engaging. There's so many different places and spaces for you to find your people so that you can share one another's burdens together in a way that allows us all to help one another get the gift that God has given us. And I would also say, don't be afraid to ask for help when it comes to engaging with our staff. This this rhythm is not just something that I talk about on a platform on Sunday, but it's a rhythm that we talk about with our staff and that we've been carrying for a number of years. Uh, we've been living in this world for a long time. And I would say this, like he would never say this about himself, but I'll say it uh, for him. Um, uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, I think Andrew and Ariel um, have one of the most complicated lives uh, of any uh, family that I know. They've got three little kids. Um, all kind of kindergarten age and younger. They're both in grad school. They both are in uh, uh, ministries of service. Uh, Andrew uh, here on staff at our church. Ariel, quite literally, saving lives uh, and dealing with a significant um, reality that's facing um, so many people in their worst moments. In fact, if you're a, like a, if you serve in the medical community, can we just put our hands together for those that serve in the medical community? It's amazing what you do. Like, thank you for that. Um, I just want to say this about Andrew, um, and I know that um, this would, this, he'd be, be happy to do this. Um, if you, you want some coaching or some help in how to think about this, like, in a helpful way, um, he or I would be happy to engage you. But more than anything, what I love about this guy is that what we've talked about today, it's not just, like, good ideas that we picked up somewhere. This is a lived experience that we are working out, and uh, with all the complexity of his life, I don't know of a person that, that lives this out better. And so. Um, Again, I would encourage you, start with grace, think progress, not perfection, and don't be afraid to ask for help. This is what the local church is for, to help us know and take our next best steps in following Jesus. Would you put your hands together for Andrew as he leaves the stage? Thank you, Andrew, so much. And as he does, would you go ahead and stand with me? Would you go ahead and stand uh, with me? I want to kind of create a moment here where um, I pray uh, for you. Uh, Would you just close your eyes for a moment? I want you to think about the month of January and the time that we've had in this pause series. And perhaps even ask the Holy Spirit right now to remind you or to reveal to you what your next step is. For some of you, your next step will be uh, coming to actually grab this, this book that we're wanting to commend to you as a gift. For others, it might be sending an email to somebody on our staff so that we can help coach you in this particular area. In other words, we'd be glad to do it. For others, it might be sitting down with your significant other and saying, hey, we we need to rethink the way that we're living in this climate because our kids are paying attention to us. They're figuring out what it looks like to walk with Jesus based upon the way that we're living. They are internalizing what we are externalizing. But whatever that next step is for you, I just want to remind you Some good news beyond the good advice, some good news. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Jesus goes down to the waters to be baptized, and before he heals a person, preaches a sermon, saves a soul, changes a life, before he goes to the cross, before his resurrection, before he's done anything, man in obscurity no great resume when he's baptized the heavens open earth open up and a voice declares to the earth this is my son whom i love and with whom i am well pleased and that declaration over the life of jesus is the declaration over your life as well if you never accomplish another great thing if you never figure it out if you don't get the promotion don't get to move into the neighborhood, if you don't accomplish the task, what makes you right before your heavenly father is not what you do for him, but what has been done for you through Christ on the cross. You are his beloved son, his beloved daughter, whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. So let's sing in response to that truth.